Chapter Twenty Three of Some Everyday Folk and Dawn by Miles Franklin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Universal Adult Suffrage, Part One. Electioneering matters ripened, and so did Carrie's love affair with Larry Whitcomb. In fact, it got so far that she gave Grandma notice and announced her intention of going to a married sister's home for that process known as getting her things ready. While Larry, in keeping up his end of the stick, bought a neat cottage and began furnishing it in the style approved by his circle, with bright linoleum on the floors, plus chairs in the parlour, and china ornaments on the overmantels. Mrs. Bray, one of those very everyday folk whose god was Mammon, and who naturally hung on every word issuing from a person of means while she would ignore the most inimitable witticism from an impecunious individual, began to regard the lady help from a new point of view. She mightn't have done so bad for herself after all. Some of these girls knocking about the world, not having nothing to their name, don't balk at things the same as you and me would, who's been used to plenty and like to pick our goods, so to speak. The way things is, Larry is as likely as most to be in a good position yet, was a sample of the modified sentiments falling from her full red lips. Carrie was to remain at Clay's until after the election day, so that she could cast her vote for Leslie Walker. The political candidate thus favoured scarcely allowed three days to pass without personally or by proxy stumping the noon end of the electorate. His last meeting in the Citizens' Hall was jam-packed an hour before the advertised time of speaking. The candidate, on this occasion, made no fresh utterances to entertain. He merely repeated the catch-cries of his party. But the air was heavily charged with human electricity, and the questions and barracking of the crowd were supremely diverting. "'Are you in favour of the chows going to South Africa?' bawled one elector. "'My dear fellow, we are going to govern New South Wales, not South Africa.' "'Yes, but when we sent contingents out to fight for the Empire in the Transvaal, do you think it fair that white men should be passed over in favour of chows in the South African labour market?' This question being ignored, another was interjected. "'Are you in favour of the newspapers running New South Wales?' "'Certainly not.' This being a satisfactory answer, the old favourite question, "'Are you in favour of black gins wearing white stockings?' was put and the candidate having assured us that provided they could manage the laundry bill he certainly was in favour of these ladies wearing any hosiery they preferred and the loud guffaw which greeted this information having subsided he continued now don't vote for me or henderson vote for the best measures for the country henderson was driving the personal ticket of having lived among them hence this warning I think it an unparalleled impertinence for a man to ask an intelligent body of electors to vote for him. When there's a swell bloke like you in the field. Pip, pip, hooray! Cock-a-doodle-doo! came the chorus. The pip-pip was a new sound to them, having been introduced to represent the noise made by the propulsion of a motor-car, in which set the candidate shone. Are you in favour of gas and water running up the one pipe? inquired another, when the din had once more fallen to comparative silence. "'Don't you think that ladies ought to wear big boots now that they've got the vote?' All such important questions having been put, the chairman called for three cheers for Mr. Walker. Three cheers for Henderson!' yelled the rabble at the back, which were given deafeningly, and the candidate, 
with the lively tact which bade fair to develop into his most prominent characteristic, joined in the cheers for his opponent till someone had the grace to call, Three cheers for Mr. Walker now! And in the most delightfully uproarious, holiday-spirited clamour, thus ended the last meeting but one before the election. This was fixed for the 6th of August, and notwithstanding there being several other towns in the electorate, equally as important as Nanoon, on polling eve, both candidates were to make their final speech there at the same hour. During the week intervening, Leslie Walker's ladies' committee were very busy in the construction of dainty rosettes of pink and blue ribbon to be worn by his followers, and not to be outdone, Henderson's committee of mere men armed themselves with little squares of hat-band ribbon of red, white and blue, the ministerial colours. These were not such dainty badges as the rosettes, but they served the purpose equally well, and the sterner sex, in our present stage of evolution, ever to be trusted to make up in downright usefulness what they lack in mere prettiness, had attached a safety pin to each piece of ribbon for its masculinely substantial affixing. Part 2 Polling Eve arrived, and the ministerialists, having secured the hall, the oppositionists had perforce to hold an open-air meeting. We attended the hall first, intending to move on to the street entertainment later, and Dawn was attacked by an old dame in the opposing camp, because she was displaying Walker's colours. "'If I liked him, I'd go and stand in the street and listen to him, not take up the room of them as has a hall hired for him by the best man who has lived among us, and not some city la-dee-da married to a hussy off the stage, and who had women who might be any character goin' round speakin' for him, she tirated, and turning to me aggressively demanded, Where are your colours? Could you supply me with some? I replied, and only too pleased she squalled to an urchin who was distributing the squares plus a safety pin. I was such a well-poised rail-sitter that I was entitled to wear both colours, and as this one was being ostentatiously fastened to the lapel of my over-jacket, I remembered the injunction to live at peace with all. A brass band played the people in, and a trio of youngsters unfurled red, white and blue parachutes, alias gamps, alias ginghams, alias umbrellas, which were a popular feature of the turn. The committee appeared on the platform one by one, each received with noisy approval, and one facetiously wearing a rosette the size of a large cabbage was tendered a particularly deafening ovation. After these crept Henderson, who, though not a particularly inspiring individual, was wildly and vociferously cheered for everything and nothing, and after listening a while to his catch-cries, which differed from those of Walker, only in the irritatingly halting and unimpressive way they were delivered, we rose and scrambled our way out, jeered by the old dame as we went, and our departure was further commented upon from the platform by the speaker himself in the words getting too hot for some of the ladies which if correct could not by any means have been attributed to the winter air or the dull and weakly maudlin speech he was trying to deliver walker spoke from a balcony crowded by devotees mostly women to an audience in the street which was further enlivened by the fighting of the numerous dogs i have previously mentioned as addicted to holding municipal meetings. Their loud differences of opinion occasionally drowned the speakers, and the main street being also the public thoroughfare, in fact no less a place than the Great Western Road, there was no by-law or political etiquette to prevent the ministerial band from strolling that way at intervals, 
so much to the delight of all who were out for fun and the annoyance of those who were sensibly interested in the practical welfare of their country and who imagined that the policy of this party would materially better matters the cut-and-dried denouncement of the ministry was at times drowned by strains of molly riley he's a jolly good fellow and see the conquering hero comes the followers of walker contended that henderson was the worst of scorpions to thus come to nanoon on the last night but considering that he had only addressed nanoon once to walkers thrice as an impartial wiggle-waggle i could not help seeing that the ministerialists had most cause for complaint dawn pinned the badge i had acquired to the coat-tail of a local bank manager who though on her side had lately distinguished himself by a public denouncement of women's rights so savagely virulent and idiotically tyrannous in principle as to suggest that his household contained representatives of the shrieking sisterhood who had been one too many for him the boys who saw the joke enjoyed it very much indeed as he strolled along with the self-importance befitting so prominent a citizen the beautiful voice of the candidate rose and fell occasionally halting till the usual cheers or guffaws died away and the meeting ended in the customary way what good to the country was likely to accrue from it on the other hand what harm to be abroad in the open air with comfort at that time of year and at that hour of the night illustrated the beautiful climate of that latitude if nothing more and every one was harmlessly entertained for good humour characterised the whole affair tea coffee and cheese abounded for all comers at the committee rooms of leslie walker the candidate supported by the temperance societies and on behalf of oliver henderson there was an open night at jiminy's pub with the result as published by the oppositionists that boys of fourteen and sixteen were lying drunk in the gutters the next day however was the culmination of the whole thing dawn almost wept that she was not of age to vote and as i was so comfortably indifferent as to which man won i offered to cast my vote for the one she favoured but she declined that would only be the same as having men having the vote and thinking they know how to represent us she said but though she couldn't vote she worked hard for her side and with a big rosette of pink and blue decorating her dimpling bosom and streamers of the same flying from her whip and her pony's headstall she was out all day driving voters to the booth where for the first time in that town women produced an electoral right the federal election had been conducted without them in the forenoon larry whitcomb drove carrie to vote in state otherwise a brand new sulky he had recently purchased and such is human nature that we were all sufficiently malicious to be secretly pleased that poor old uncle jake could not vote at all because he had only an obsolete red elector's right and he should have procured an up-to-date blue one it was a genial sunshiny day and the lucerne and rape fields and the chinese gardens on either hand were beautifully green as grandma noticed when during the afternoon she and i drove in the old sulky to cast our vote poor jake i'm sorry he can't vote though he ain't goin' for my man she remarked but don't it seem like a judgment on him for bein' so narked about the women bein' set free that's always the way in life if you're spiteful about anything it always comes back on yourself the street opposite the courthouse for the time converted into a polling booth was thronged like a show-day with an orderly crowd of citizens of both sexes the voting had become so congested that vehicle loads of voters were being conveyed over to kangaroo and each contingent set out amid the cheers of small boys who were most ardent politicians 
laughing and banter were exchanged between people of all ages and classes one as important as the other for the time being as we crowded round the door a jovial-looking man with a twinkle in his eye as he was unceremoniously shoved against a pillar announced that women should not have been allowed the vote for its disastrous results were already evident in this crush while the equally pleasant-faced policeman who as soon as intimation came from within that there was a vacancy wheeled us in like so many bales of wool replied women jolly well have as much right to vote as men and more because they can do it without getting drunk or breaking their heads many displayed colours and some did not there was the truculent woman who voted as she thought fit and who loudly advertised this fact the man who voted for henderson because he lived in the district and the woman who supported leslie walker because he was rich and would be able to subscribe liberally to all local institutions a shallow-pated miss favoured walker because his colours were the prettier and an adult-pated old man balanced this by voting for henderson because he shouted note to treat to free drinks and walker was temperance there was a silly little flaxen-haired woman who also supported the opposition to spite her husband a henderson man and the prototype of mr paunch because being over grogful he had made tracks for the polling booth alone leaving his wife to go as best she could alas there was a poor little woman at home who could not vote at all because she had succumbed to the gentlemanliness of leslie walker and her husband being against him had tyrannously taken her right from her and there was also the woman who would not vote at all because she considered men were superior to women and boisterously proclaimed this to all who would listen in hopes of currying favour with the men but fortunately this in the case of the best men is becoming an obsolete bid for popularity there was the woman who voted for the man her father named and those electors of each sex who voted to the best of their discernment great or small quite a crop of uncle jakes were disenfranchised through their rights being back numbers and the nobodies who imagined themselves something altogether too lofty to consider anything so mundane as law-making at all were also rather numerous ada grosvenor's bright happy face shone like a star amid her companions and she discharged this duty honestly and thoughtfully as she did all others recognising it as the practical way of working for the brave bright ideals guiding her life among the electresses were all the same types of vote as cast by men except that those sold for a glass of beer were not so frequent and as civilization climbs higher universal suffrage and the better methods of ministration to which it will give birth will be exercised for the adjustment of the great human question now so trivially divided into squabbles of sex and class the bright australian sun shone with genial approval on all and in the air was a hint of the scent of the jonquils and violets so early in that temperate region grandma clay must not be forgotten for in her immaculate silk cloth dress and cape her bonnet of the best material and her lastings with her spectacles in one hand and her properly prized electoral right in the other and her irreproachable respectability oozing from her every action she could not be overlooked as she neared the door the gentlemen and younger ladies crowding there politely stood back and cancelled their turn in her favour and mrs martha clay a flush on her cheeks a flash in her eyes and with her splendidly active upright figure carried valiantly at the age of seventy-five disappeared within the polling booth to cast her first vote for the state parliament 
What a girl she must have been in those far-off teens when she had handled a team of five in Cobb & Co.'s lumbering coaches, when her curls blowing in the rain and wind had been bronze, when with a featherweight bound she could spring from the high box seat to the ground. Lucky Jim Clay to have held such vigorous love and splendid personality all his own. All his own to this late day, for the old dame returning said to me, This is a great day to me, and I only wish that Jim Clay had lived to see me vote. And there was a pathetic quiver in the old voice, inexpressibly sweet, to the ear of one believing in true love. After Grandma Clay there was myself, a widely different type of voter. In one way it did not matter whether I voted or not. Neither candidate had a clear-cut policy to rescue public affairs from their chaotic state. The electors themselves had no definite idea what they required, but this was in no way alarming. All the materials for national prosperity were at hand. Presently matters would evolve, and the demand for able statesmen would be filled when the demand grew clearly defined. Which man would do most for women and children was also immaterial. The mere fact of women no longer being redressless creatures, but invested with rights of full citizenship, was even at that early stage having its effect. Politicians were trimming their sails to catch the great female vote by announcing their readiness to make issues of questions relative to the peculiar welfare of the big bulk of the human race represented by women and children. Inspired by women's newly granted power of electing a real representative of their demands, would-be MPs were hastening in one session to insert their platform planks, which much vaunted womanly influence, had been unable to get there during generations of masculine chivalry and feminine disenfranchisement. Let the women vote. As Grandma Clay expressed it, it ain't what things actually are, it's all they stand for. For this reason I meant to exercise my right. A sovereign in itself may not be much, but to a starving man within reach of shops, see what it means in twenty shillings worth of food. Similarly, the right to vote in a self-governed country meant many a mile in the upward evolution of mankind. Countless brave women and good men had sacrificed all that for which the human heart hankers, that women should be raised to this estate, and what a coward and insolent ignoramus would I be to lightly consider what had been so dearly bought and hard fought. And so thinking, I presented my right, received my ballot paper, and though not bothering to meddle with either candidate's name, I folded it correctly, and for the sake of all that stood behind and ahead of the right to perform this simple action, dropped it in the ballot box. It closed at six o'clock, and then came a lull till the first returns should have time to come in. The candidates were not in the noon, but town end, where the head polling booth was situated, though nothing could have exceeded the excitement in the noon. Grandma said she would wait quietly at home till next day to hear the result, but at nine o'clock the strains of a band, the glow of the town lights like a red jewel through the night, and the sound of distant cheering proved too enticing to us two left alone in the house, so we locked it up, put the pony in the sulky, and sallied forth into the winter night which in this genial climate was pleasant in an over-jacket added to one's ordinary indoor attire. We had the road to ourselves, for the strings of vehicles from which it was seldom free were all ahead of us. The candidates had tiny globes of electric light representing their colours hung across the street from their respective committee rooms, and the proprietor of the Nanoon advertiser had a splendid placard erected on his office balcony and well lighted by electricity, on which the names of members were pasted as they were elected. 
and in view of this had gathered one of the most good-humoured crowds imaginable irrespective of party the hoisting of each name was wildly cheered by the embryo electors who being at that time of life when to yell is a joy took the opportunity of doing so in full leaving grandma in charge of the vehicle i got out to reconnoitre and slipped in among the crowd desiring to be unobserved but that was impossible a good-tempered man invariably discovered me behind him and insisted upon putting me forward where there was a better view of the numbers and names let the women have a show this is their first election and it ought to be their night and similarly good-natured remarks in conjunction with the little chiacking from either party as the numbers fluctuated were to be heard on all sides where were all the insults and ignominy that opponents of women franchise had been fearfully anticipating for women if they should consent to lower themselves by going to the polling booth if one expected the discomfort that non-smokers have to suffer in any crowd owing to the indulgence of this selfish disgusting and absolutely idiotic vice it was one of the best-mannered crowds i have been among i espied larry and carrie carefully among the shades of the trees on the outskirts of the gathering and even in the teeth of a political crisis not so thoroughly up to date that they could forgo a revival of the old old story that will outlive voting and many other customs of many other times among the crowd of mercurial and lustily cheering boys was my friend andrew and a little farther on lo the knight himself a motor-cap was jammed on his warm curls and a football guernsey displayed the proportions of his broad chest as his chesterfield fell open while with the gaiety and freedom he lacked when addressing girls he exchanged comments with some other young fellows evidently fellow motorists my feeble pulse quickened out of sympathy with dawn as i caught sight of him it was easy to understand the hastened throb of her heart upon first becoming aware of his presence who has not known what it is to unexpectedly recognize the turn of a certain profile or the characteristic carriage of a pair of shoulders meaning more to the inner heart than had a meteor flashed across the sky most of us have known someone whose smile could make heaven or whose indifference could spell hell to us and those who by some fortuitous circumstances have spent their life without encountering either one or both these experiences are still sufficiently human to regret having missed them and to understand how much it could have meant had dawn's blue eyes yet discovered the goodly sight when i presently found her the light in them betrayed that they had her face shone with the inward gladness of a princess when she has come into view of a desired kingdom whether it shall endure or be destroyed and replaced by the greyness of disappointment depends upon the prince reciprocating and making her queen of his heart dora ewart was in attendance so i dispatched him to ascertain if grandma were all right and took advantage of his absence to say i see ernest has returned to see the result of leslie walker's candidature then it's a wonder he didn't stay in town end they'll know the results there sooner she replied with studied indifference our pony fell asleep where she stood and in spite of the cheering as though she were well acquainted with women taking a live interest in an election we let her sleep till twelve when to grandma's disappointment leslie walker was more than a hundred votes behind there were yet other returns to come in but these were not large enough to alter present results when we left the street was still crowded and the cheering unabatedly vigorous on our way home grandma remarked with satisfaction that dawn seemed to be regarding ewart sensibly at last 
and I seized the opening to inquire if she were really anxious that the girl should marry him. I am as she couldn't get no one better, replied the old lady, and I considered that this condition saved the situation. Part 3 the poll had been taken on a Saturday, and on Monday both the elected and defeated candidates appeared in Nanoon to return thanks. The former came into town at the head of a long cortege of vehicles, and with the red, white and blue parasols very prominently in evidence. The streets were hung with bunting, and at night the newly elected MP was lifted into a buggy in which he was drawn through the streets by youths at the head of a glorified procession led by a brass band and there were not only little boys covered with electioneering tickets from top to toe, and yelling as they marched and waved flags, but also little girls, now equally with their brothers, electors to be. More power to them and their emancipation. It came on to rain, so black umbrellas, big and businesslike, went up by dozens around the three special ones, and became an amusing feature of the train of miscellaneous people who came to a halt within earshot of a balcony in the main street. Henderson was carried upstairs on some enthusiast's shoulders, and when landed there followed the usual gasseting and flattery, the re-elected member being presented with a gorgeous bouquet of red, white and blue flowers. A little further up the street, the Walkerites also held a corroboree, where graceful thanks were returned by the opposition candidate, who was overloaded with offerings of blue and white, violets and narcissi, and amid great enthusiasm dragged in a buggy to the railway station. As they came down the street, though they had the intention of giving three cheers for the victors as they passed, the rabble could not be expected to anticipate such a nicety of feeling, and some young irresponsibles attempted to form a barricade across the route. "'Charge!' was then called out by some broad young Walkerites in the lead, and mild confusion followed. I was knocked on to the wheel of Leslie Walker's buggy, from whence I was rescued by an old gentleman, himself minus his pipe and cap, but good-humouredly laughing, "'My word! Aren't the other side dying hard?' "'Take care you and I do not also die hard,' I replied, stepping out of the way of an idiot lad who, dressed as a jester in Walker's colours, was sitting on a horse whose progress was blocked by the crowd, which began jibing at the rider. Dawn, indignant at this, dashed forward like a beauteous and infuriated Queen Bodicea, her cheeks red from excitement and the winter air, and with her grandmother's flash in her eyes, exclaimed as she took the bridle rein, "'Cowards to torment a poor fellow!' She attempted to lead the animal through, but the torches of the band were put before it, and the indispensable red, white and blue parasols swelled in its face, till it reared and plunged frantically, catching the excited girl a blow on the shoulder with its chest. She must inevitably have been knocked down in the street and been trampled upon, but for the intervention of a hand so timely that it seemed it must have been on guard. Nanoon was by no means an architectural town, and the ugliness of its always dirty, uneven streets was now accentuated by the mud and rain, but the picture under the dripping flags, shown up by the torches of the band, was very pretty. The sturdy young athlete, thus triumphantly in the right place at a necessitous moment, held his precious burden with ease and delight, and though she was not in any way hurt, she did not seem in a hurry to relinquish the arm so willingly and proudly protecting her. The expression on the young man's face as he bent over the beautiful girl was a revelation to some interested observers, but not to me. 
oh lucky young lady to be thus opportunely and romantically saved from a painful and humiliating if not serious accident oh happy night to be thus at hand at the psychologic moment and where was dora ewart then and where was my rescuer apparently he had forgotten that he had rescued me or that to have done so was of moment ah neither of us were in the heyday of youth and tis only during that roseate period that we extract the full enchantment of being alive and only by looking back from paler days that we understand how intense were the joys gone by End of chapter 23